How did science begin? What sort of worldview provides the basis for studying nature? The biblical basis for modern science, this week on Creation Magazine Live. Welcome to another audio podcast from your friends at CMI. Faith-building evidences for the accuracy of the Bible are coming right up. Welcome to Creation Magazine Live. My name is Richard Fangrad. And I'm Calvin Smith. Now this week on Creation Magazine Live, our topic is the biblical basis for modern science. Now there have been countless books and papers and articles written on the relationship between Christianity and science. In this next half hour, we're going to hopefully uh, summarize and simplify that whole discussion by examining how science got off the ground to, to start with. All right, if that sounds like a monumental task, stick <laughs> around. Uh, to begin, we can certainly admit that uh, many people see science and Christianity as incompatible. Right. One of the more famous people to weigh in on this topic was the late evolutionary paleontologist Stephen Jay Gould. And in a 1997 essay titled Non-Overlapping Magisteria, or NOMA, uh, for, for Natural History Magazine, Gould writes this, The net of science covers the empirical universe, what it is made of, fact, and why does it work this way? Theory. The net of religion extends over questions of moral leaning, meaning and value. These two magisteria do not overlap, nor do they encompass all inquiry. Consider, for starters, the magisterium of art and the meaning of beauty. To cite the arch cliches, we get the age of rocks, and religion retained the rock of ages. We study how the heavens go, and they determine how to go to heaven. All right, well that's very eloquent, and right. it sounds good. Science is about things that we can observe, and faith is about things that cannot be observed. Atheist blogger P.Z. Myers takes it a step further, saying, science and religion are incompatible, simply, completely, irreconcilably incompatible. Yeah, well, you must wonder what he thinks uh, is going on in the heads of science of the founders of modern science, yeah. um, right? Many of them were founded by believers in uh, creation. Uh, you can see a sample here. There are famous names in the, in the field of, of physics, chemistry, biology, geology, astronomy, mathematics, and others. And all of these people, and many more, are the founders of science. Uh, more of the founders believed uh, in creation. Yeah. yeah, we actually did a show on this a couple of years ago that we called Famous Creationists from Newton to Sarfati, right. uh, where we highlighted just a few of them in the time that we had. But for most of that half hour show, right. we had a scrolling list of yep. creation scientists in, in the bottom right-hand corner on the, uh, of the screen. Now you can see it online at creation.com slash cml4-15. Right, now, if science and religion are really incompatible, were these people like totally schizophrenic? Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, no, they believed the Bible and they did good science. Yes. So historians of science disagree with Gould and P.Z. Myers and they point out that modern science first flourished under a Christian worldview while it was stillborn in other cultures like in ancient Greece, China, Arabia. Right, yeah, that's because the basis of modern science depends on the assumption that the universe was made by a rational creator. An orderly universe makes perfect sense only if it were made by an orderly creator. Uh, for example, evolutionary anthropologist and science writer Lauren Isley stated, the philosophy of experimental science began its discoveries and made use of its methods in the faith, not the knowledge that it was dealing with the rational universe controlled by a creator who did not act upon whim uh, nor interfere with the forces he had set in operation. It is surely one of the curious paradoxes of the history of science that which professionally has little to do with faith, 
that it owes its origins to an act of faith that the universe can be rationally interpreted and that science today is sustained by that assumption. Right. And then you can see in this quote by a, an evolutionist that Dr. Isley is surprised yeah. by what his research into the history of science actually revealed. Yes. But, but this shouldn't be surprising to Christians. We can confidently say that what we see in God's world agrees with what we read in God's word. So there isn't going to be a contradiction yeah. between the two since, since the name of uh, it was the same God who made the world who also wrote his word. Right? right. But if you have a distorted view of who God is and what the Bible is, obviously you're not going to see it that way. You'll, you'll compose something like Gould's Noma idea. Right. So, okay, why did, Christian, uh, why did science develop under a Christian worldview and not others? It's, uh, it's not surprising why, uh, why it did when we actually look at why science works at all, really. Yes. Yeah. Um, there are some essential features that make science possible, and they just don't exist in non-Christian cultures. Now, much of the content for this week's program comes from a, a great article by Dr. Jonathan Sarfati titled, The Biblical Roots of Modern Science. You can read it online at creation.com roots. Now read that article for details that we won't have time to cover in this, uh, this half hour. Right. Now, we've mentioned that there are aspects uh, of a Christian worldview that actually make science possible. Yes. And yep. they don't exist in non-Christian cultures. So what are they? We have, I have a list of eight of them. And the first one is, there is such a thing as objective truth. Objective truth refers to something that is true for all people, regardless of their feelings or beliefs. Right. Uh, Jesus said, for example, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. That's an objective truth. It mm -hmm. applies to everyone, regardless of beliefs or feelings. But postmodernism, for example, denies objective truth. Right. Uh, one example is... What's true for you isn't true, true for, for me. me. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, all about okay. subjective truth. <laughs> Another postmodern claim is there is no truth. So is that statement true? Or, you know, we can't know the truth. Well, so how do you know I that, know. right? Uh, that worldview collapses on itself and could never be the basis of science. Right, it just folds in on itself. Yeah. Uh, number two, the universe is real. Yeah, you it, might think this, this sounds kind of obvious. But, yeah. Uh, Many Eastern philosophies believe that the universe is an illusion, right. uh, that a physical universe doesn't exist. Uh, there's no point to trying to investigate an illusion by experimenting <laughs> on it, right? It doesn't work. Uh, the, the universe is real because the Bible makes it clear that God created a real physical heavens and earth. Right. Okay, number three, uh, the universe is orderly. If there's no creator, or if Zeus and his gang were in charge, yeah. or if there are, you know, <laughs> gods constantly warring amongst themselves, then there'd be no basis for the assumption that their universe is going to be orderly. It all depends on who's in charge of the universe this week. So some Eastern religions teach that the universe is a great thought. Well, I guess it could change its mind then, couldn't it? Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, Hebrews 13.8 uh, describes God as the same yesterday, today, and forever. Mm. Uh, that's a good basis for the assumption that the universe that he created will operate according to fixed laws that he put in place that don't change because God doesn't change. That's right. A fundamental facet of science is, is deriving uh, laws that provide for predictable outcomes. And, and this is uh, possible only because the universe is actually orderly. And so an experiment you do yesterday will be the same it's as today. The same. And it'll be the sure. same tomorrow. It's necessary for science. Mm -hmm. All right, number four. The universe is ordered in such a way that it can be understood by humans through investigation and experimentation. Mm -hmm. Now, if the universe just 
popped into existence all by itself, on what basis would you expect it to be ordered? Hmm. And ordered in such a way that the humans can perceive the order. Right. Uh, it's an assumption that you have to make in order to do science. Right, and once again, the Bible provides a basis for uh, making does. this assumption. Yeah. God is sovereign. He created an actual physical universe and gave humans the abilities and responsibility to manage the earth. So humans must be able to understand the creation since God commanded us to manage it. Also, he was free to create as he, as he pleased. So the only way to find out how his creation works is to investigate and experiment. Right. Number five, man can and should investigate the world because God gave us dominion over his creation. Mm -hmm. So creation isn't divine. We don't need to um, sacrifice to the forest god when you cut down a tree or appease the water spirits to measure its, its boiling point. Yep. Uh, rather, as, as Kepler said, his scientific thoughts were thinking God's thoughts after him. I love that. Right. Thinking God's thoughts after him. And number six, uh, man can initiate thoughts and actions. Uh, they are not merely the results of uh, you know, deterministic laws of brain chemistry. Right. Uh, this is a deduction from the biblical teaching that man has both a material and an immaterial aspect. The immaterial aspect of man means that he's more than matter. In the same way, his thoughts aren't bound by the makeup of his brain. Right, right. but if thought is just the results of the laws of chemistry playing around in our brains, as some evolutionists have stated, then there's no basis for making this assumption and therefore no basis for doing science. Right. So number seven, man can think rationally and logically and that logic itself is objective. Now this is a deduction from the fact that people were created in God's image and from the fact that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, is the Logos, as it says in John 1, 1 to 3. Right. If evolution were true, then there would be selection only for survival advantage, not necessarily for rationality. Right. Uh, one more assumption that makes uh, science possible, it's the final one, is that results should be reported honestly. Now mm. there's obviously a clear biblical basis for that because God has forbidden lying. But if evolution were true, then why not lie? It's, it, it's not surprising that um, scientific fraud is an increasing problem. Uh, it's not that atheists can't be moral, but they have no objective basis for this morality within their own system. That's right. So there are some of the assumptions required for, uh, to do science, all of which have a reasonable basis uh, within a Christian worldview. Uh, for more details, see the article, Why Does Science Work at All? at creation.com slash why science. All right. Given that the Christian worldview provides a reasonable basis for those assumptions, it's no wonder that it was, uh, for the most part, people with that worldview who got modern science going, got it off the ground. Mm -hmm. Sociologist and author Rodney Stark affirmed, science was not the work of Western secularists or even deists. It was entirely the work of devout believers in an active, conscious, creator God. Now, that has got to be an astounding statement to most of today's non-Christians who see Christianity as a religion for people who just don't think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, to, the, to the modern mindset, as indicated by, by the quotes we sampled a few minutes ago, science and religion are incompatible. So discoveries like, like this one by, histor by historians of science are shocking to them. Well, science is incompatible with most religions, but not Christianity. Right, right? yeah. It's incompatible so. with atheism. Yeah, um, <laughs> atheistic beliefs provide no basis for doing science. Which is kind of ironic. <laughs> yeah, it is. Okay, let's take a look back through history now to see how a biblical understanding of the universe spurred scientific discovery and invention. 
the Middle Ages stretched from the fall of the Western Roman Empire in the 5th century up to the 15th century, merging with the Renaissance at that time. Yeah, and that period used to be called the Dark Ages. Um, yes. But, you know, responsible historians recognize that it was far from dark. It was a, a period of great scientific advances, results of the logical thought patterns of the scholastic philosophers of the church. Yeah. And the inventiveness and, and mechanical ingenuity developed by people in monasteries, actually. Yeah. Uh, James Hannum. Uh, who has a Ph.D. in history of science from the University of Cambridge in the U.K., wrote, During the Middle Ages, the Catholic Church actively supported a great deal of science, which it also kept con control of when speculation could impinge on theology. Furthermore, and contrary to popular belief, the Church never supported the idea that the earth was flat, never banned human dissection, never banned zero... <laughs> and certainly never burnt anyone at the stake for scientific ideas. Popular opinion, journalistic cliché, and misinformed historians notwithstanding, recent research has shown that the Middle Ages were a period of enormous advances in science, technology, and culture. The compass, paper, printing, stirrups, and gunpowder all appeared in Western Europe between A.D. 500 and A.D. 1500. Well, it's amazing. Here's another historian of science who sees that the church was actually at the forefront of scientific discovery. Right, yeah. Moving forward, uh, toward the end of the Middle Ages, the church was uh, a mess. It had blended many man-made ideas and superstitions into the teaching of the church, uh, obscuring basic truths. While Europe in the Middle Ages still had a Judeo-Christian worldview, it took the Reformation to recover the high view of Scripture that the early church had. Right, and with this came the recovery of, of a plain or historical grammatical understanding of the Bible, recovering the understanding of the New Testament authors and uh, you know, most of the early church fathers. This turned out to um, have a huge positive impact on the development of modern science. Peter Harrison, formerly a professor of history and philosophy at Bond University in Queensland, Australia. He was a one-time professor of science and religion at the University of Oxford. He wrote this, It is commonly supposed that when in the early modern period, individuals began to look at the world in a different way, they could no longer believe what they read in the Bible. In this book, I shall suggest that the reverse is the case, that when in the 16th century people began to read the Bible in a different way, they found themselves forced to jettison traditional conceptions of the world. All right. Now, elsewhere he wrote, Strange as it may seem, the Bible played a positive role in the development of science. Had it not been for the rise of the literal interpretation of the Bible and the subsequent appropriation of biblical narratives by early modern scientists, modern science may not have arisen at all. That's astounding. In sum, the Bible and its literal interpretation have played a vital role in the development of Western science. Right. Now, non-Christian experts in uh, in the history of science, agree that it was by taking the Bible straightforwardly or literally, uh, taking the text as the author intended, led to a dramatic advancement in science. Yeah. Stephen Snowblin, assistant professor of history of science and technology at the uh, University of King's College in Halifax, Canada, writes in a similar vein and also explains the somewhat misleading term uh, literal interpretation. He writes, Here is a final paradox. Recent works on early modern science has demonstrated a direct and positive relationship between the resurgence of the Hebraic literal exegesis of the Bible in the Protestant Reformation and the rise of the empirical method in modern science. I'm not referring to wooden literalism, but the sophisticated literal historical hermeneutics that Martin Luther and others, including Newton, championed. 
All right. He even mentions Newton. Mm. Amazing. Uh, Professor Snowballin uh, explains the reasons why scientists started to study nature in the same way that they studied the Bible. So just like they studied what the Bible really did say, rather than sort of imposing outside philosophies and traditions on it, mm -hmm. they also studied how nature really did work, rather than accepting philosophical ideas about how it should work, which was similar to allegorizing readings of scripture to make it say what they think it should say. Right. He, he writes, it was in part when this method was transferred to science when students of nature moved on from studying nature as symbols, allegories, and metaphors to observing nature directly in an inductive and empirical way that modern science was born. In this, Newton also played a pivotal role. As strange as it may sound, science will forever be in the debt of biblical literalists. <laughs> It's amazing. Wow. Wake hey, up, Richard Dawkins. Yeah. Can't you just hear the screams of all those angry atheists out there that we run into quite a bit, yeah. comments on the show, and so, who want nothing to do with God. Right. Right? People who, who dream of, of the, the eradication of Christianity, as, as one atheist who wrote in through our website put it, yeah. um, they're convinced that Christianity is holding back scientific progress, and it's a backwards religion. And it's actually the very opposite. Exactly. I mean, we should clarify that when we talk about science, we're not referring to evolution. Evolution right. isn't science. Yes. It's a history. It's a belief about what's gone on in the past and an attempt to explain the universe naturalistically without God. That's nothing to do with observable science. Right. That is incompatible with Christianity. And it, it's incompatible with science also. <laughs> if, if we want to do this visually, here's Christianity and its origin account, recent creation. Here's science and here's evolution, beginning with a big bang and ending up with people. Science, as we've been discussing uh, here, goes with the Bible and Christianity. Right. So you, uh, you've got Christianity, the Bible, and science on one side, and evolution all by itself over, over there. Uh, science, logic, reason, all that good stuff fit with Christianity, while evolution can't even account for any of it. Yeah, of course, that's not what everyone's taught today, well, is not it? Not at all. I mean, you know, you have to dig a little, but, uh, but not too much. It's right. not like these uh, books and papers we've been quoting from here are kept in, you know, secret vaults uh, <laughs> where only a few people have access to it. Yeah, you know. it, it, it's a sad comment, really, on the education system where people are only taught one view, that evolution is scientifically supported and, and and Christianity is anti-scientific, or, or that it's a you know, non-overlapping magisterial and incompatible with science, that yeah, type well, of thing. Hey, that, that, that's why we do this show, right? To, yes. to, to educate people with truth. Yeah. Uh, so let's get back to our, our, our history lesson here. Let's continue with that. Professor Harrison, uh, who we quoted from just a little while ago, um, has researched another commonly overlooked factor in the development of science. Get this belief in a literal fall and a literal first Adam. That's right. Founding uh, modern scientists, including uh, Francis Bacon, reasoned that the fall not only uh, destroyed man's innocence, but also greatly impaired his knowledge. Right. The, the first problem, man's innocence, was remedied by the innocent last Adam, Jesus Christ. His sacrifice enabled our sin to be transferred to him and his righteousness, his perfect sinless life, to be transferred to believers in him, as stated in 2 Corinthians 5.21, one of my favorite verses. Mm -hmm. uh, having Christ's perfect life imputed to you is the only way to get to heaven. Yep. But as uh, for recovering what they believed to be Adam's encyclopedic knowledge, they looked to science. Science was advanced through the belief in a literal fall of a literal first man, Adam. 
for the reason why, we turn to Professor uh, Peter Harrison, Professor of History and Philosophy at Bond University in Queensland, Australia, and formerly Professor of Science and Religion at the University of Oxford. And he writes, New literal readings of the creation narratives in Genesis provided 17th century thinkers with powerful motivating images for pursuing the natural sciences. Adam was thought to have possessed a perfect knowledge of all sciences, a knowledge lost to posterity when he fell from grace and was expelled from the Garden of Eden. The goal of 17th century scientists such as Francis Bacon and his successors in the Royal Society of London was to regain the scientific knowledge of the first man. Indeed, for these individuals, the whole scientific enterprise was an integral part of a redemptive enterprise that, along with the Christian religion, was to help restore the original race to its original perfection. The biblical account of the creation thus provided these scientists with an important source of motivation. And in an age still thoroughly committed to traditional Christianity, the new science was to gain social legitimacy on account of these religious associations. And elsewhere he writes, For many champions of the new learning in the 17th century, the encyclopedic knowledge of Adam was the benchmark against which their own aspirations were gauged. The experimental approach, I shall argue, was deeply indebted to Augustinian views about the limitations of human knowledge in wake of the fall, and thus inductive experimentalism can also lay claim to a filial relationship with the tradition of Augustinianism. So there's a remarkable solid connection between yes. the Bible and the Christian worldview and the origin and rapid development of modern science. Yeah, so, so let's review what we've said. God-haters often ridicule the Bible, especially its account of creation, but... Science requires certain presuppositions to work at all, and these are found in the Bible. Europe in the Middle Ages, with its general Christian worldview, saw great advances in science and technology. And the Reformation, with its emphasis on the authority of Scripture and the historical grammatical understanding, led to a great leap forward in science as these methods of studying the Bible were carried over into the study of nature. Belief in a literal first man, Adam, and his fall inspired science as a means to rediscover knowledge Adam had before the fall. And finally, it's futile to expect continued fruits of the scientific enterprise while undermining the roots in biblical Christianity. Right, yeah, and that last point is interesting. <laughs> the, the roots of Christianity, well, not the roots, Christianity is being undermined today all over the place. That's not right. Not just in, the, in scientific fields where it's been tossed out. No, no, we can't allow conclusions that might end up with the supernatural because that's not scientific. And, well, and, and, the, and the, the scripture says, you know, the truth becomes a lie and lie becomes a truth, etc. And, and here we have, you know, proof from secularists submitting that in order to do science properly, you need to have that correct mindset. And yet all I hear from atheists and skeptics all the time is, oh, you guys are totally non-scientific. You don't believe in science. And yeah. as we've actually shown in certain quotes uh, on the show a couple of times, that science has often been redefined as naturalism. something natural uh, that equates to naturalism. Yeah. It's just, just, yeah. just ridiculous. Amazing. Creation Magazine Live. Uh, we get a lot of information from former articles in Creation Magazine. You can get a, you can view a free digital copy online at creation.com slash freemag. Have a look at it. If, if you like it, sign up. Get it into your home. See you next week on Creation Magazine Live. See you then. Today's episode was originally formatted for broadcast TV and is available online at the links in the podcast show notes. Both are produced by Creation Ministries International, publishers of Creation Magazine. 
For more information for the accuracy of the Bible, visit creation.com. You can also donate to the ministry at creation.com slash donate. And thanks for listening.